Um, sometimes we might not know uh, where we're going. So we know who we are, we know who we want to be in Christ, because Christ shows us that day by day as he reveals that to us. But sometimes we might not necessarily know where we are going in our personal discipleship journey with Christ. We might not know how to get there. So today we look at the route that the disciples take in following Jesus. Uh, We spoke about the journey some weeks ago, uh, but now we need to understand the best route that the disciples needed to take. How did they actually follow Jesus? And as Christians, the route we take every day in following Jesus is vital to our journey. Uh, We need to be clear that there's only one route to Jesus. There's only one way to Jesus. There's only one route to the Father, which is through Jesus. And this route... Along the way, though, in our life, has many options that we can take uh, and we can go off the path. And whilst God is gracious and powerful and awesome uh, that he brings us and guides us back on, we can choose not to come back onto that path uh, should we be in that way at the time. But knowing the route uh, stops us from being aimless. Knowing how we go along with the journey, stops us from being aimless in our pursuit to share the gospel, to be disciples of Jesus. A few weeks ago, I used an illustration uh, from Alice in Wonderland, so I thought I'd give you another one, because it it seems to be, and I'm not trying to bring Alice in Wonderland over the Bible. Uh, I'm not obsessed with it. It's probably the last time I'll ever mention Alice in Wonderland. Uh, But there's this great illustration, uh, again, in Alice in Wonderland, And it says, this is where Alice is speaking to the Cheshire cat. And she says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice, so so long as I get somewhere. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. These are logical... (laughs) things that we're hearing in these stories. Um, But it's interesting, isn't it, that that response, so long as I get somewhere, for me it speaks into this principle, this idea that maybe there's just something out there, there's something more than who we are, there's something more than this place. And I I just want to know that somewhere. And for me, my worry is that whilst we're great at being inquisitive, we don't tend to focus on what that is. Uh, And when we become a Christian, that is our focus. We change from, there's got to be something more to life than this, into, no, there is very much something more to life than this, and it's very much specific. So we need to know the route we're taking. And if we don't, we could end up being taken along with the tide of church. And even in churches today, we can just be taken along with the day-to-day, with the Sunday service, Uh, over many years, and just not really consider the fact that, am I really going somewhere, or am I just being carried along with the church? Don't really know where we are personally going in our relationship with Jesus, and we just end up moving forward with the church. But knowing this best route also enables us to stay on the correct path and return to it, should we find ourselves off course. It allows us to see the route that we've come off of, so we can then head back. So when we look at the disciples, they had a route that would take them over many parts of the world. They had purpose and intent. 
that there was a time just before that where Jesus taught them to be specific and intentional. And in fact, the disciples were told something very specific by Jesus. <clears throat> Matthew 10, verses 5 to 8 says, These 12 uh, Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely you give. The key phrase to see in this verse And the whole verse is a key phrase. But in particular to what we're talking about today is this verse, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. The reason this is key in our message today uh, is it shows one particular principle. It is no use lost people finding lost people in regards to the gospel. It is no use people who have lost their way trying to help others find their way. And we have, and I can personally say this, there are many times in my life that I can say that I felt like I, I wasn't really in the right place to talk to people in finding their way to Jesus. Because sometimes I feel like I'm not really on the route today, I'm not really on the track today. And that's okay, because we're human beings, we're people that are fallible. But the disciples knowing the route they would take not only geographically but spiritually, was a key element to Jesus being able to give them authority to further the work of the gospel. So then he says, later in the chapter, Matthew 10, verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. This is one of those verses um, that are kind of understated in, its, in what it says. Uh, this word shrewd uh, is probably an understatement in what Jesus actually says. This word shrewd, I've tried to put in what I had to pronounce it, the pronunciation, thronomos. 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 It means intelligent, prudent, sensible, or wise. And so maybe shrewd doesn't really cut it uh, in our translation. Uh, but this helps us just to understand the fact that um, the disciples weren't just ambling around blindly. They weren't just walking around just kind of um, talking about the love of Jesus. They had, they had reasoned with what Jesus had taught them and was teaching them. They were taking it in and then practicing exactly what he taught them. Just before he sends them out, he does a number of miracles in front of them to show them uh, how to do this. He shows them and teaches them what to do. So then he says, basically, you've seen me, I'm going to send you out and you do the same. You go and heal. You go and heal people that, as I have healed people in my name. And so by the time Jesus had come to the point of sending them out, he had shown them what that route had looked like. He heals people and raises a girl from the dead. This is building confidence that they can trust him and walk with him uh, as he journeys with them. So for me here, Jesus warns his disciples not to be ignorant about the faith they have in him. Rather, he says, follow the route I have shown you. The Bible is a route to God. 
as we read the Bible, it is something we can follow. It is something we can stay close to. And he says here, Jesus says, follow the route I've shown you with eyes wide open, being wise in how you carry out the actions that come from faith that you have in him. And Jesus then goes on to tell them the very things that they would encounter. Uh, There's no surprises of what they would encounter because he tells them and warns them uh, what would happen uh, later in this chapter of Matthew 10. But I suppose the question is for us, have we been listening to Jesus for the route ahead or have we been swept along with the function of Christianity or the function of church or the function of religion? Proverbs 14, verse 15 it says, the simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. So one of the things we're learning here about having a route and staying on it is to be wise. Consider what God is telling us. Consider the journey that we have been put on during this time on earth. What is it we're here to do? We're not here to be aimless about our walk with God. We're here to be specific. And God has each for each of us a mission. That could be a big mission and be called away internationally. It could be a local mission, which is your neighbour. It could be your friend. It could be something, someone you're about to encounter. But it is specific. But the main challenge in church today is how to stay on message in a world that is more deceptive and it cares more about self-belief than that in the Creator God. It's much, much harder and will get harder to stay on message of the Bible and not to water that down. And I'm not saying that that means we go out and condemn people. I'm saying we show what Jesus is for. We show that he's for love. We show that he is for people who, yet, who are yet to know him. The moment I say, uh, whenever I've said in the past about uh, we need to not wander from the word, I'm always worried that that does translate sometimes into we should go and condemn people for who they are. If they don't believe in Jesus, we should condemn them. We can, we can do that if you want to, but I don't think that's Jesus. I, I, I really don't think that that's what Jesus wanted to do, and I don't think that's what he wants us to do. I think when he dies on the cross and he does it for people who don't know why he's done it, we are equally under condemnation. But he does it anyway because of his love for us. And as you, many of you know, we're all a work in progress. So now we need to know how to stay on this message. How do we stay on the message? How do we stay on the route? How do we keep on the route that is the word of God and not straight? I need a drink of water. (laughs) Excuse me. Okay. So how do we stay on this message? The disciples continued this very good principle taught by Jesus, by trusting in him in Acts, by listening to the Holy Spirit after Jesus had ascended. And we see this in Romans 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. 
The irony was not lost on me when this verse came to me during preparation as I was trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's things like that really suddenly think, wow, there are many things we take for granted. But suddenly seeing a verse like that, which aligns with your current struggle, you go, yeah, I, I, have, I don't listen intently, even though I have the ability to listen. But I don't focus, I don't listen enough to Jesus. So faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And just like us today, the disciples, and Paul in particular, had to be able to operate as a disciple without the physical presence of Jesus, with the presence of his power through the Holy Spirit. They still had to operate, uh, even though he wasn't standing in front of them, they had to have that 100% faith that the Holy Spirit was operating in power in the same way that it operated in Jesus. We might translate the work of the Holy Spirit as the unseen working of Jesus. And to help us to understand this inner working in the disciples and how they stayed on route and on message, I think we need to look at something we might have said about what faith is. Inadvertently, maybe use this term. And we hear this term maybe a lot more from non-Christians. But it's a term that's said all the same. There's a term called blind faith, and I've mentioned it before, mentioned it this year uh, at some point. And in some way this is kind of used against Christians to say you're, you're a bit stupid, you don't know what you're believing in, you don't know, you believe in this thing in the sky, or whatever it is they want to, accusation they want to throw at you on that day. But in my view, the Bible speaks so opposite to that principle, you would have to think that this people who dispute Christianity made it up to validate their own argument. The Bible speaks so opposite to blind faith that we've just learned about being wise in faith. It is such a daring step to take to trust in the faith that we've been given by God to trust that he is who he says he is, and to put that trust in him. It is not about being stupid or simple. It is actually about becoming wise in Christ. Not wise to our own knowledge, not wise because we puff ourselves up, because we trust in the creator God. But as Christians... We also underestimate the power and definition of faith when we use this term of blind faith. Uh, a simple search on the internet, uh, in your Bible app, potentially, uh, of the word blind faith in the Bible, shows verses not that state blind faith at any point, but of the unseen and not seen. Unseen and not seen is not the same as being blind. Unseen is that I haven't seen it. Not seen, I haven't seen it. If we are blind, I would put to you that the risk here is that we can never be not blind. There is a sense that we are looking, not looking for God, but looking towards ourselves. And that's what the, the sinful world is. That's where we are at the moment. In that The world looks to itself. It looks for self-gratification, for self-elevation. But actually the Bible shows that there is the unseen that we can see. 
And now you might pick out a verse, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, that says, for we live by faith, not by sight. But this verse does not say that my faith is blind. It doesn't say that I trust in Jesus because it just says so. What I've done is I've looked at the Bible, I've studied it, I've come to a knowledge of him through people who have gathered around me, who have talked to me about Jesus, and through that a faith has come, a faith has been revealed to me that I didn't see before. We always talk about how we, in a world that we worship things, we have the ability to worship whatever we want. It doesn't have to be God or Christianity because God's given us free will, but actually still within us is this ability to worship. And God has gracefully given us the ability to choose whether we focus that on him or focus that on ourselves or other things. What it actually says is I am blind without faith. I do not see without faith. What I see is what I see in front of me. What I see is the physical things you might see in front of you, the physical things that you encounter every day. I trust in all the things, the structures of the world. Those are all things that are things, structures that are not about God, but about trusting in uh, the, the treasures of the earth, not of heaven. So when the Bible uses words like unseen or not seen, it's not saying that I have a blind faith and just trust that it's right. In fact, it speaks into the part of our first point of being wise. I'm being wise not in my own knowledge. I'm not puffing up myself because I now believe in Jesus because I've read the Bible. But I'm wise because now my eyes have been opened, as it were, or now I see what God is trying to tell me and has been trying to tell me for a very long time big difference between being blind and not seeing. So in using words unseen, not seen, it actually refers to this principle of seeking what is not seen or that which I cannot see until I see it. Not that I'm blind in it or even blind to it. I can't be blind to it because actually it's on offer today. I can come to Jesus so I'm not blind to it but I can be ignorant to it. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There is no excuse. Let me give you this um, story of the blind man. John 9, 13-15 says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. goes on to verse 17. It says, uh, Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, the man replied. He is a prophet. 24 to 25, says, A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I like to think, when I read this account of the blind man, the point 
at which the Pharisees uh, say, what, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? I, I think there's a very clever thing going on that Jesus always knew that was going to happen, uh, in that he, he opens this man's eyes, uh, and then this guy's going to go in front of the Pharisees, and the very question that they're asking him in a physical way is a very spiritually deep question to them. What do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? It's got some clever working. And the Pharisees, I think, are probably just <clears throat> not really aware of what this question is really loaded with. And we see that in 26 and 27 when it goes on. And it says, Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? So we can understand that faith comes from hearing the message and is heard through the word about Christ. And knowing this, we can start to understand that faith is all-seeing and knows exactly where it is going. So because of that, the disciples had a faith that would keep them en route in sharing the gospel throughout the world. And so listening to the Holy Spirit is a key element to knowing where we are going in our walk with Christ. It's simply not the case that we can take any random path that will lead to Christ. Anyone who wants to come to the Father must come through Jesus. To maintain the route, we must listen to and act upon the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Okay, this next set of verses, and I need a drink of water actually because the next set of verses have got some lovely words in them that I need to try and pronounce. Acts 16, verse 6 to 10. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept up, kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bethaniah, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging, begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, what's going on here is that the disciples did attempt to go to places that they were not really sent to. They did attempt and try to go to places. They tried the different routes that were available to them with good intentions. They clearly, I have no other reason to think that they would want to go because they wanted to share the gospel. But actually what they were there to do was to listen to the calling of the Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit sending us on our mission? Where is the Holy Spirit sending them? So even in this sets of verses, what you're seeing here is this grace operating in that there will still be attempts we will make and God will still bless them, but maybe not in the way we think. And maybe sometimes what he'll do is say, actually, that's not going to work. But grace allows us to make these errors, as it were, because our heart is not necessarily wrong, 
in that sense, but we want to try and share the gospel with people. But we need to be open to the fact that the Holy Spirit has a very specific mission in our lives for each of us. And what he wants to do is tell us where each of us is meant to be, where each of us is going. And within that plan, he then brings his church together. It says, together, the reason why you people are together is because you've got a mission. You all come here because we've got a mission for Welling. We've got a mission for these streets around us. But we don't all do the same thing. We have different giftings and different skills to offer in that body of Christ. But here what we're seeing is is that they're listening and testing on the Holy Spirit. Not afraid to make mistakes, not afraid to see what would happen. But what we must be very much aware of is the acting of the Holy Spirit in guiding us. We can ignore this guidance and continue down the wrong route. We can choose to ignore where God is calling us. Ultimately, that's not going to end well for us. And God will do something about that at some point. Something he will do to reveal that to us. And either we can stop and say, actually, even if this feels right, is it right? Even if this is the right direction, maybe I should test it again with the Holy Spirit and see what he's saying. And so as we do things here, as we do the practical things in the building and make the changes, I'll be coming back to Christ. I'll be coming back to the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, is this where you still want us to go? Is this the direction? Are we focusing still on you? Or are we losing ourselves in the things around us, in the world around us, in the things that we can see? So the lesson that's been uncovered here is that in order to stay en route, we need to listen but then we need to act. Even if that goes against our own way of wanting to do something, however pure and good our intentions are. Our faith and a disciple's faith is not one that was just about avoiding bad decisions or bad times. For if we do that, we make God a God of limited capability. If we only look to God for avoiding bad decisions, then we're kind of almost just fatalists. We're almost just, I don't, I don't engage with God any other time except when things are, are bad or things don't seem right. But we can avoid even that part most of the time if we just come earlier and just engage with the Holy Spirit and pray to him. Just check, Lord, give me a sign, tell me, guide me. Is this right? Am I still right? It feels right but our flesh is so imperfect that it can always feel right, especially when it speaks to our flesh. So rather, our faith in God invites him to guide us and lead us in our whole life, our whole journey, every step of the way. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my route, but your route be done. So the question we need to keep asking is, is this my will or God's will? God's will. My will without faith, without listening, ultimately has its own agenda. Because it comes from me, without verification from God. Or is it God's will? 
God's will is pure light, pure and right. And whilst we cannot have perfect alignment in this lifetime, we can and have access to test that will against the messenger of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. To stay on route is an active and ongoing process of making decisions in line with the route that Jesus has already laid out. Constantly checking back with him. Am I still on route? Am I still on the right path? Because as things get more and more busy, more and more challenging and draw us away, it's so easy to get lost down an alleyway, to get lost down the wrong path. So I'll be coming back to him saying, Lord, is this still the right path that I'm on? So I want to close with two pieces of advice, hopefully to simplify this entire sermon in two statements. Don't buy a train ticket unless you know where you're going. And don't ask for directions unless you're willing to listen and follow. That summarises the entire sermon, okay? But maybe, you know what I mean, spiritually we need to be asking these questions. Am I just doing things out of the, the, the fact of tradition, out of the fact of religion? Or do I know where I'm going? Do I know why I'm doing this? Do I know why I'm doing these things? Why I put so much energy into the things I put energy into? And be open to the Holy Spirit asking us, telling us, it might feel right, but it's not the right path. And we will wrestle with that probably for a few days when that happens. There are times when something seems so right, such the right thing to do, but you know the Holy Spirit is telling you it, it just isn't the way you're meant to be going at the moment. I'm going to close a prayer and then we'll say a blessing together, chosen. Lord, we want to thank you that you are the great counsellor, that you've sent your Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, to take us and keep us on the route that you have laid out for us. Lord, will you help us to open our ears uh, to your Holy Spirit guidance? and even to come back just to ask and check with you. Just to come and say, Lord, even if things are right, is this still right? Even if my whole life is going 100% well, is it still right? Lord, we want our focus, our worship to be on you and not on the things of this world. We want our focus and worship to be on Jesus. So Lord, will you help us to understand where our calling is, where our mission is, and how we can come together as a church to see what you want us to do in Welling, what you want us to do in these streets as we move forward next year. Lord, we want to thank you for the blessings that you've given us, blessings that we don't think are blessings, blessings that we don't recognise as blessings, but blessings certainly that uh, you make very obvious to us. Lord, we just want to give you praise and thanks uh, that we have the Holy Spirit uh, who we can engage with, connect with, and come to a relationship with in understanding what Jesus wants us to do. We thank you, Father, for your Son who died on the cross and rose again. We thank you. Amen.